This is Matthew Hester, Senior Pastor at Dominion Church. I want to thank you for joining us this week on the Dominion Church podcast experience. Our podcast aims to deliver truth from God's Word concerning His kingdom and your righteous identity as His beloved child. Please subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and do share it with a friend. We pray that you are blessed, challenged, and changed by what you're about to hear. Uh, so Facebook, thanks for joining us on Facebook Live. Uh, do us a favor, like and share this now so others can be impacted as a result. Maybe you're watching on our YouTube channel at Dominion Church SC. Uh, please like this page, leave a review, all the stuff you do in 2020, 2021 and beyond. It's just a strange age we live in. Maybe you're listening on our podcast experience, the Dominion Church podcast experience. The point is you're with us. I would encourage you, if you can, come and be a part of one of our corporate gatherings. Uh, there's a lot of things that you may, you watch and listen to that just don't translate. Uh, when you're in a corporate environment, we're, we're big on Psalm 133. There is a place of commanded blessing where brothers dwell together in unity. And I know that there's a, a trend right now, it seems, to, to walk away from the corporate gathering and then we try to explain why we don't need it. Uh, but I just want to tell you, I don't believe it. Uh, that is true whatsoever. If anything, we need to be together now more than ever. While there are so many voices and forces that want us divided, um, that should clue us in as time to be united. Amen? And, uh, and that's not a, a term of patriotism. That's a term of kingdom right there. Okay? Before there ever was a United States, there's got to be a United Kingdom. Amen? And I'm not talking about Great Britain either. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. Come on, the kingdom that we're all citizens of. The kingdom that we are the family. Come on, we're the family of God. Um, but yeah, I, I want to jump back into this series. For those of you that follow us on our on our different uh, mediums here of, of information and, and ministry, we I started a series, I guess it's been all the way back in September now, called The Gospels. And it is the, the power and the manifestation of the kingdom of God. And how we started it off, I'm going to give you just a quick recap. We started by looking at what has been passed off as the gospel, or we call the Western gospel, or the Americanized version of the gospel. And, and what we found out was, not only are the, a lot of those things not major in scripture, some of them aren't scriptural at all, right? Especially when we try to use our methodology of getting someone saved, just so we can spare them because of sin, spare them from, from either horrible futures on their way, whether it be tribulation, end time, madness, and craziness. And then we get them afraid of, of hell. And it's a hell that is not supported scripturally. It's a hell that we built. Come on now, I, I'm not saying there's no hell. I'm saying the hell that many of us have built. A lot of the evangelical hell that we preach is not scriptural. And it looks more like Dante's Inferno. Right, and, and so we have to go back to what does the Word of God say and allow it to inform us, okay? So the gospel was never meant to be fire insurance and it was never meant to be a, a fear mechanism for turn or burn. The gospel is good news. It's good news, right? And so we started the, the, the session previous to this, we started looking at one facet of the gospel and that was the gospel of grace. And so in this series, we're going to look at seven different facets. There are seven primary things identified as gospel in the New Testament. 
Now, there are other things called gospel as well, but these are the seven primary things. So our session previous to this was grace. And for this session, this facet that we're going to be looking at is the gospel of the dear son or sonship. Okay, now each of these facets, they're not in competition with one another. You know, uh, uh, ladies in here, maybe you can look at your engagement ring for just a moment. And when you look at that diamond and when you see when the light goes into it, there, there's color that feeds into that diamond because of where the light enters various facets. And it's the brilliance of the facets that causes the diamond to have greater value. And so a lot of times, this is how we approach the gospel. We hear gospel, then we hear something else, and we say, well, that must be the gospel. And then we try to erase what we learned before, so now we can embrace this new gospel. No, gospel doesn't work that way. Gospel, it, it works together. It cooperates with each other. See, the problem is, especially in this day and age, and when I say a problem, I don't want to, it's not a problem. Preaching grace isn't a problem until it's a problem. Do you get what I'm saying? But then when you realize there are other facets that shine light at the gospel of grace, it brings balance to it. For example, that's why I'm very intentional right now about the gospel of the dear son or sonship. Listen, you can preach grace all day long if you also follow up with a healthy dose of sonship. Or, we'll get into some later verses uh, or, or, or uh, sessions, a healthy dose of God the Father, a healthy dose of the corporate Christ. And then you realize one gospel doesn't cancel out the other. It illuminates the other. It makes it even richer and more beautiful than it would be standing by itself. And I understand, you know, we get, we'll get apprehended by something and it's the best thing we've ever had in our lives. But don't forget, the kingdom of God is not either or, it's both and. Both and. Come on, the gospel of the kingdom, I mean, a lot of us cut our teeth on that, right? And we were reading all the Miles Monroe books and we were, we were in the kingdom movement and we, you know, third day church, we were kingdom people, but we did not have, we had so little grace it wasn't funny. But we were kingdom people. So then you get grace and you go, you go to the extreme, man, that's all I want now is grace. And you forget how rich the kingdom is. Let, we're not gonna be that. That's not what we're gonna do. We wanna see the fullness of the counsel of God and as much as we can see in this moment, the fullness of the gospel and we want to present it with wisdom. So that's what we're going to do in this session, the gospel of the dear son or sonship. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up. We'll start in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. So here's just references right here. We're talking about the gospel of this dear son. We see this identification, the gospel of the dear son, the gospel of the son of God. Romans 1, verse 9, for God is my witness whom I serve in my spirit in the good news of his son, how unceasingly I make mention of you. Luke chapter one, these verses are fitting, seeing as we're about to cross into the, the Christmas season now. <clears throat> the messenger, the angel of the Lord came to Mary and said, do not fear, you found favor with God. And you will conceive in the womb and you'll bring forth a son, call his name Jesus. We could stop and even look at the order of how the news is delivered. Before his name is given, his identity is given, he is a son. And his name will be Jesus. He will be great, the son of the highest. He will be called and the Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father. 
And he will reign over the house of Jacob to the ages, and of his reign there will be no end. That's some beautiful stuff right there. The gospel of the dear son is not the gospel of Jesus the Messiah only, but it's also the gospel that speaks to our corporate sonship. So if you can buy into and believe Jesus is the son of God, I, I hope we're not uh, wrestling with that idea right now. If we're wrestling with that, we need to go do some foundational teachings here. Jesus is the son of God. That is accepted doctrine across denominational lines, okay? Rarely will someone disagree with you on that. And then we'll call things, we'll call Jesus things like this. Well, he's the high priest of a royal priesthood, right? We'll say, you know, we'll say things like he's our big brother, but then we have issues claiming corporate sonship. Well, he's the son of God, but I'm, I don't think, I don't know if I'm a son. Well, he's the king of kings. You guys, you've heard this taught. The king of kings. He's the capital K of the lowercase kings. What kings are we talking about? It's us. He's the Lord of lords, the capital Lord of the lowercase lords. But, and people are like, all right, I think I can go with that. But then son of sons. Oh, I don't know. And I think a lot of it goes back to, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to feed into our session next, next time on the dear father or the good father. Because as soon as we hear the word son, we still have hangups and we have daddy issues. And then what we believe about what's required of sonship. Because unfortunately, historically, there's been abuses of the word sonship. You know, the, the sonship movement or the shepherding movement. You could, that was right off the hills of the manifest sons of God movement. It got a bad rap because all of a sudden sonship turned into this. Your, your pastor was your, 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 like your chief shepherd. Again, and, and I'm not even going to argue with these statements for the moment. The, the understanding of the statements is where the issues come. Then it came to the point where you couldn't even buy a refrigerator unless your pastor approved. You couldn't, I mean, listen, I want you guys to know, I do not want you to call me asking what refrigerator you should buy. I don't care, and I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to say, go find a deal and go get what you want, right? And it became abusive, so a lot of times when people hear sonship, they have a bad taste in their mouth. So we've got to reclaim it, and we've got to show people, well, this is actually good news. Sonship is good news. The identity that Jesus carried as the Son of God is also the identity we are anointed to carry as the corporate sons of God in the earth. You know, Varner used to say it this way, whatever Jesus, Jesus can say about himself, we should be able to say about ourselves. That's bold now. Now, you don't do that in boast. You don't do that in arrogance. I mean, because, you know, you walk around saying what Jesus said, claiming what Jesus claimed. You've also got to manifest the way Jesus manifested. So we don't want to play that game, right? <laughs> you want to do it with, with authority and confidence, knowing who you are, but we don't play with it. Romans 8, verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed the image of his son to be conformed to the image the image of what his son and if you, you just break this down and you look at it as most simple level what does it mean for something to conform it means you have a form 
but you don't have to conform except the form needs to be changed or altered. Are you guys okay? So, Matthew needs to be conformed to an image. And it's not an image I make up. It's not an image that you try to put me in. I am destined to be conformed into the image of his son. I've shared this before, and this is just, you know, the Holy Spirit works with me basically a lot of times at kindergarten level. And one time I had this vision, and I saw this cookie dough laid out, and I had an awareness that I was cookie dough. (laughs) And then an image, a cookie cutter, was pressed into the dough. And the, the cutter looked like Jesus. And you know what happens when you press that image into the dough? There's excess are y'all hearing me right now? I know, I know it's a Sunday after Thanksgiving, but turkey should be out of our system by now. Maybe I'm just preaching this for myself. And so the spirit presses down the image and then we start going through process and process looks like removing the excess. What could not be a part of the image? You don't have to raise your hand, but would you agree for a moment that there are things right now in your life that you're dealing with that you know don't look like the image? <laughs> just, just one of us, me, that's fine. And so the, the excess is removed, and then we think the process is over, and then it's time to put us in the oven for 375 degrees. So, okay, we won't, we won't get into all that. So conform to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, ladies, before you think I'm leaving you out, these terms, these are not gender exclusive, okay? When I say sons, I'm not only talking about men. I'm also talking about women. Come on, guys. Do I have to explain this ABC stuff, right? We don't have to do that now, do we? Like men, we are part of the bride, It doesn't mean bride is exclusively woman. Come on, this is spiritual language and it's showing us the heart of God for people, okay? So women can be sons, men, we're part of the bride. We can get over that, right? Can we just keep moving? And actually, I would encourage you, I can't go into it all tonight. Romans 8, that whole chapter is just a beautiful chapter on sonship. I I would challenge you this week, you know, go and do a little, a little devotion this week. You can read a, read a few verses each, each day and just chew on it. Here, here's some of my favorites from Romans 8. Maybe you've heard this before. Romans 8, 14. For those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba means Father. Father, Father. That's the intimate demand on the name of the Father. That's not just calling him by some separated distant title. That's calling him through the lens of relational intimacy, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. Man, this stuff is the stuff dreams are made of right here. And it's reality given to us. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory, that's the part of the verses we want to leave out. 
we all want to share in the glory, but I get it. And, and I wish that this is just Matthew saying it, not scripture saying it, but scripture says it pretty clearly. There's an intimate connection between glory and suffering. And I get it. Suffering doesn't sell tickets and it doesn't pack out auditoriums. But it's part of the journey. And it's okay. Said and done. Here's just a question that you can ponder the answer in your own heart. Said and done. What is the worst that suffering can do? Said and done. The worst is that it can cause you to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. So said and done. How horrible are the present sufferings of this moment compared to the glory of what is yet to come? But a lot of us, man, we spend all of our life and energy running from suffering, not understanding the intimate connection between suffering and glory. Not understanding that a lot of times the proving ground of our sonship is found in hardship. I know. That's probably why a lot of people don't preach on sonship. Because it's not all daisies. It's not all a good time. Because when you talk about sonship, you also start talking about discipline. I didn't say punishment. I said discipline. There's a difference. Discipline is from the hands of a loving father who wants to see his children mature into the image they're destined to be. Punishment usually doesn't have any redemptive purpose. And because God is redemptive, punishment's not one of his tools. Discipline is. The problem is we combine the two. Because a lot of times out of our own strength, what we call discipline is punishment. Yeah, I'm going to discipline him, and then you, you whack your son up inside his head, and you didn't leave any impression of love. You left an impression of you know, your knuckles or your belt buckle. Now, listen, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to tell anybody how to discipline their kids, but what I'm saying is call it what it is. Punishment is not redemptive. So if in the heat of a moment you just got to give someone a piece of your mind, don't call that discipline. All right. I, we got to keep moving. This is, I'm way off track right now. Is this okay though? Okay. So just that verse, eight, Romans 8, 29. We'll go back and look at it just for a moment. For those whom God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This verse shares the promise that the fruits of the Spirit, which God manifests in and among his people, represent the Christ being born again, remarkably, in the midst of his people. Did you know every time someone comes to the saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is in their life, Christ is born again in them. He's the firstborn of many brothers. So what we call our salvation experience, it's his born-again experience as well. Hey, I'm born again in somebody else. I'm born again in someone else. Isn't that beautiful? So instead of trying to get someone to get saved so they can, you know, turn or burn, no, their salvation is Jesus being replicated, multiplied one more time into the earth. Wow. How else do we think the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea? It, he does it through people. Come on. All right. The gift of Christ is consistently given to the saints 
who not only come to obtain him by faith, but to see him born in their own lives and in the lives of their brothers and sisters. Part of our journey of faith is to see Jesus be alive in us. Wow. And then to see him come alive in others. I think a lot of times that is the joy that, I'll just speak for myself, part of the joy of ministry that maybe we don't always know how to articulate. The joy of seeing Jesus come alive in someone else. We call it hope, you can call it rescue, you can call it whatever. But it's Jesus coming alive. The, the, the awakening, the great awakening, one person at a time. Let's look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 50. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. (laughs) And that's what Jesus said. So if you ever want to know, Jesus, am I your brother? Am I your sister? I even love that, even his mother. How do you know? Well, because you're doing the will of my father. You're doing the will of my father. That's going to change the way we look at the will of the father. Now, we all have this idea of what the ground level will of God is. But then for a lot of us, it's all very unique based on where we are and the people that we impact on a daily basis. But it doesn't change who we are. When you are doing the will of the father, you know with confidence that you are the brother of Jesus, the sister of Jesus, the mother of Jesus. Whether it be in Walmart, whether it be the Mitsubishi dealership, it doesn't matter. Hmm. John 15, verse 15. I got a lot of verses on this. I want to make sure throughout this series, there's no doubt that I'm not just making this stuff up, okay? The only way I know how to do that is just to baptize it in verses, John 15, verse 15, no longer do I call you servants. Maybe your translation says slaves. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Now there, it doesn't actually say sons, it says friends, but then he goes on to make a demand on his father. So the implication is the friends are those that know who God is as father. And if you know who God is as father, then Jesus is your brother. If Jesus is your brother and he's the son of God, guess what? You are also a son. We make this thing so complicated. Do you know anyone that shares the same father is related? Whether you want to admit it or not. Can I tell you, in 20 years of ministry, there are times where I don't want to admit that certain people are related to me. (laughs) Are you all right? (laughs) But it doesn't matter. If he's our dad, we are family. (laughs) Okay. How do I drive this point home where, well... What I'm going to do by driving this point, I'm going to share something that's one of my favorite things to share. And you've heard it before, and you're going to hear it again. Because that's how present truth works. That's what we see in 2 Peter. I'm going, to, I'm going to declare these things to you, though you already know them, and you will be established in present truth. So here we go. 
the beloved son, the beloved son, Matthew chapter three, verse 17, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And you guys, you know the background. I'll share the context with you just for a moment. This is John the Baptist right there in the River Jordan. He's baptizing. He's bringing his radical kingdom message. And the incarnation, the manifestation of the kingdom of God in the flesh, in that moment comes over the hillside to be baptized by his cousin. John starts giving excuses why he cannot. Jesus stops him and says, this has to happen do what you got to do. Jesus is dunked into the water and a message for another time. He was not baptized backwards. He was baptized forwards. I believe that with all my heart. He didn't have to be baptized backwards. He had nothing to be forgiven of. He was baptized forwards. It was his weothesia ceremony. He was being initiated as the son for forward momentum to represent his father. That's what I believe. So he's dunked into the water, comes up, and what happens? Something heavenly, something miraculous we're told the heavens open. The spirit descends. It says like a dove. I, there, there probably wasn't a dove flapping around, but the spirit descended like a dove, which, which meant quickly. You know, doves are not as graceful as we give them credit for. You ever watch those? I, I love, man, I can get lost on like Facebook videos real quick. I can be trying to do kingdom business and then I get caught in a 20-minute loop of videos on watch. Have you ever seen the people that they had the idea to release doves like at a wedding? And then apparently at funerals too, there are people that release doves. One of my favorites, I'm way off topic right now. I'm trying to give us a moment of some levity here. Uh, there was this funeral and, and they're doing the final prayers and getting ready to lower the casket. And this guy has a crate of doves and, and he opens the top and he gets one of them and the other doves start flapping away. And he goes to throw this dove and it just goes up over, boom, just crashes on the ground. It's the funniest thing. I feel terrible for him, but it's hilarious. I'm saying that to say when it says the spirit descended like a dove, it may not be as graceful as you think. I believe the spirit was just tumbling down on Jesus. And then a voice was heard. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You know the question I'm going to ask. What had Jesus done to deserve beloved son status? Nothing. Had not done his first miracle. Not yet. He hadn't even turned water into wine yet. All he had done was obey his parents and make furniture with his dad and ran away from his parents that one time when he was you know, 12, 13 years old. He had done nothing to earn this status. And I find it interesting. Jesus didn't have to earn it, but we all feel like we have to. Now, the pattern here is clear. The identity is given first. Religion does it all backwards. You got to do, do, do so I can acknowledge who you are and then we can all agree that you're a son. No, God starts with you are a son and then the son, that, that identity as a son springboards you into what you can do. It springboard you, springboards you into your ability. There's the beloved son. The public announcement of the sonship of Jesus was followed by the testing of that reality in the wilderness. 
Again, glory coupled with suffering. Sonship, it's coupled with tribulation. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Right then, in today's culture, I knew it. I, finally, someone has acknowledged I'm a son. Where are my business cards? Babe, you are now my secretary. Book me in as many places as we can get. I am now beloved son. Let's get moving. Are y'all okay? What's the first thing that Jesus does? It says the spirit drives him into the wilderness. Go and read it there. Read it in Matthew. That is not an evil spirit. It's not a dark spirit. It's a capital spirit. Capital spirit. The Holy Spirit. The spirit of God. Says, all right, time to go into the wilderness now. The public announcement has been made. But now it's time for you to know, do you believe it? If Jesus cannot be spared the wilderness, who are we to think that we have a chance of being spared the wilderness? It's not going to happen. So that is essentially what the wilderness is all about. You look at it, the, the places that Jesus is tested, is the, it's the place that all humanity is tested, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And it all boils down to one question. If you be, or another way is, has God said? And Jesus knew who he was at every turn. He was driven into the wilderness so he could pass the identity test. Okay, you were told you were a beloved son. Do you believe you're a beloved son? Right? Once the identity of Jesus was secured via the announcement of his father, Jesus proved his identity in the wilderness. Sonship isn't simply a declaration of who you are, but it's also an equipping for what you are purposed to accomplish in life. Once Jesus received his identity as beloved son, he was then able to effectively prove his ministry. What do I mean by prove his ministry? A lot of times we think of the proof of the ministry of Jesus by, by laying hands on people and they're healed, blind eyes open, perhaps all the way up to the work of the cross. No, he began proving his ministry in the wilderness where no one was with him, where no one could see what was going on. And I think that's probably another part we don't like about sonship. Come on, that's where we run through the the, the routine, we, we run through the paces. Okay, this, this is who I am. You know, I, I want to share this, this story with you. You know, growing up, uh, my dad did a lot of mentoring, a lot of mentoring. And he did men's mentoring. And I remember when I was finally old enough to be in these men's mentoring meetings. And, and I, I don't know what I thought it was going to be. I mean, I thought I was going to, like, receive, like, this power from on high, you know, I, I didn't know. I was, just, I was just privileged to be a part of it. And I get in one of these meetings, and these guys are, it's just like they're all complaining, and they're all, I just want to be a faithful son. I just want to be a son. I just, I just want you to be my dad and all this stuff. And it, was, it kind of just, it just was weird. It was weird. And driving home after that, and Dad was so gracious always, driving home, uh, I said, Dad, that was just weird. He said, what's weird about it? And I said, well, to start with, all these guys are just trying so hard to be your sons, and they just want you to receive them as a father, you know? And 
And, and he said, well, well, what bothered you about it? I said, well, what bothered me was is that I don't feel that way about you. And he said, well, it's because you know you're my son. They're still trying to figure out if they are or not. Now, I get it. Biologically, I was his son. But that principle stayed with me all this time. You can listen to what someone says, and you can identify whether they know they're a son or if they're trying to convince you that they're a son. And, and we've got stories. Man, I've people on the platform with the microphone. I'm here with you. I'm, I'll never leave you. I'm here for the law. And, and it's like the last Sunday they show up. It's like that was their last shot to try to convince themselves that they're kids. That's not where sonship is proven. It's not proven on platforms. It's proven in the wilderness. It's proven in the corner by yourself when you're going through some hardship. And then you emerge on the other side, just like Jesus did, Luke 4, 18, 19, 21. He goes out, he's quoting Isaiah. It's beautiful. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. On the other side of finding out who he was as a son, that's when he understood his equipping. And again, he's, he's quoting Isaiah 61.1. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. His audience knew the writings of Isaiah very well. Those prophetic utterances that had at that point been hundreds of years past. And he says, here we go. Now we're, now we're cooking here. So beloved son status, this next part here, I'm not going to take too much longer because this is meaty stuff here. But I want to talk about sonship is about family. Sonship is about family. And, and I know that may sound like duh, but we need to make sure we make the connection. Sonship is about family. The family dynamic in the kingdom of God brings us into places of healing and fulfillment that we otherwise cannot reach. That's why I say it's more important now than ever to be connected to value the corporate gathering. Because there, there, there are things for you that can only be found there. No matter how good you are, and some of you got, you're good. I mean, you are good. You, you, you know how to walk in faith. You know how, you prophesy up one side, down the other, walk in signs, wonders, and miracles. But sometimes you need someone else to encourage you. And it's funny, we view that as weakness. No, it just shows us that we need one another. Yeah. Because it's within the context of family that we find the most meaningful and intimate connections. Now, I know just sharing this message is just on the other side of Thanksgiving. And most of us had one of two experiences. We had a good experience with family or we had a not so good experience with family. So I get it. Actually, there's a buddy of mine I was uh, uh, hanging out with last night. And, uh, and, he, and I was like, how did Thanksgiving go? He's like, well, we, we made it. That's all I'm saying. He, he didn't want to elaborate anymore. We made it. He said, all year, my family's been fighting with one another. 
all year. They've already been telling us, well, they're not going to be there because we're at odds with one another. Unfortunately, it's too easy in this day and age to be offended for no reason. Or to be offended for not a good reason. I mean, nowadays, family won't get together just because of who you voted for. Family won't get together just whether you're going to get a vaccination or not. Family won't get together because you, you hadn't talked to them in a couple days. <laughs> Family's worth fighting for. Always. Always. Even if you've had bad experiences with family, healthy experiences bring healing. What will heal bad family experiences or good family experiences? But I want you to hear this. That doesn't mean the good experience is going to happen with the same people. Can I explain? Over the course of our lives, family changes. Okay. Now, blood family is always blood family. I'm not saying that at some point your brother is no longer your brother. What I'm saying is God expands your capacity to welcome more family into your experience. And they may not have your same last name. They may not have any mark of your DNA. But you know that they're family. That's why a local faith community is so beautiful. I can walk in here, and I'm so privileged to have my wife, my kids, my mom, my sister here in our corporate gatherings, but uh, cousin here. But then others that come, and without a doubt, without a check in my heart, well, they're family. And it doesn't matter if I had a bad experience with my natural family, the good experiences my spiritual family bring healing. But you can't get it if you're not there. There are just some things you cannot figure out by yourself. Family is God's ultimate cure for loneliness. God's ultimate cure. Family is God's ideal. It is within the context of family that we find the most meaningful and intimate connections. And I repeated that on purpose. <laughs> Romans 8, 14 through 17. I've read these verses before. I'm going to read them again from a different translation. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Now, that word adoption, we could go in and teach on that. I don't have the time to break it all down. But in Hebrew culture, all firstborn sons were adopted. It was not like 21st century adoption where it's a, a child without a family and then a family gives them representation. That's a beautiful thing, by the way. But sons would have to be adopted, and the adoption meant they could now represent their fathers. So when this talks about the adoption as sonship, it's talking about corporate sons that can express the will of their father. Corporate sons that carry the authority of their father. We are adopted as sons. And it's through that sonship, it's through that representation, we cry out intimately into the father, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit and that we are God's children. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. We are not only in the family of God, but we are one in Christ. You are one. So like I said, there, there are times, you know, we can look at family and say, well, yeah, we're family, but I don't like them. 
Well, there's something, there's something even more specific than being family. You're one in Christ. And chances are, and I say this from personal experience, the ones often that we just don't want to be around, the Spirit has a way of getting us to rub shoulders. The Spirit has a way of getting the sparks to begin to fly. See, we, we approach iron sharpening iron as some romantic idea, and all it is is friction. It's, <laughs> it's discomfort. At times it feels like chaos. And God's like, well, you need each other. You want to get sharp, don't you? This is how it's going to work. Hmm. Galatians 3, 26 through 29. Is this okay? So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is, again, a picture of corporate sonship. Now, again, this is not saying literally that there is not Jew or Gentile. It's saying that we are all in equal playing field in Christ Jesus. No special privilege, no special treatment. And these statements, if you go back and you, you think about Paul's writing this to the church, the Galatians, these are polarizing statements. They, they probably wouldn't care if he said there's no Jew, but then he says there's no Gentile. So before you think you got the upper hand, it doesn't matter who you are either. We're one in Christ. It was huge for him to say there's neither slave nor free. Because to the slave, that sounded amazing. To the free, not so amazing. Neither male nor female. He was not erasing gender distinctions. But what he was saying was in this kingdom, unlike the Jewish patriarchy, women had the same authority and the same value and esteem as men. The men's jaws dropped. The women were like, what in the world? Because you're all one. You're all one in Christ Jesus. Oh, it's beautiful. John 3, 16. You ever heard that verse before? John 3, 16. If you've never heard it before, if you watch football games, a lot of times someone's holding it up on a big, like, neon yellow poster board. I would encourage you, find out what that verse is. I'm playing with you. It's probably the first verse we all learned, probably. It's usually the first verse you learn in Sunday school, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And just pause for a moment. Who did he give? His son. Come on, we're talking the gospel of the dear son, the gospel of corporate sonship. Now, this is certainly true and uniquely connected to Jesus Christ. But now that Jesus is the firstborn of many brothers, it's also true of the corporate Christ. God has not stopped giving his son. Can I say it another way? God has not stopped giving his sons. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, sons. Hmm. You know, God's still in the giving business today. He's not withholding. 
how, what do you guys think when God sends you into a place, when he sends you to a, a, a family, when he sends you to be a blessing, when he sends you to deliver a word of encouragement, what is God doing except sending his son to someone else? Are y'all okay? Y'all had too much turkey for Thanksgiving, I can tell. And then finally, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory. Bringing many sons to glory. So this fast of the gospel, the gospel of the dear son, the gospel of sonship. We have to preach this just as much as we preach grace, just as much as we preach union, just as much as we preach kingdom, just as much as we preach the father, just as much as we preach the gospel of peace. And a lot of pastors have never preached a message on the gospel of peace because we didn't know it was part of the gospels. There's actually a gospel of peace. We're going to get into all this as the sessions unfold. But again, we talk about the facets of the gospel. They feed into one another. They illuminate and balance one another. Because if you start looking at corporate sonship, and again, let's just, since we've already talked about grace, we'll talk about how it balances with grace. So there's a lot of people that are scared of grace, and they believe that grace is a license to sin, which just means they don't understand grace. You go into Titus, it says that grace gives you the ability to say no to sin and ungodliness. So is it a license to sin or is it the ability to say no to sin? It's got to be one or the other. It can't be both. But it's a misunderstanding or a shallow understanding of it. So we're preaching grace and people are thinking, well, I have the ability to sin whenever I want to. Now, help them understand who they are in a corporate sonship. All of a sudden, you're surrounded by family and the family is like, hey, we love you enough to call you on your junk. Don't go this way. That way is not healthy for you. Okay, technically you could do it and we're still going to love you, but your wife may not love you and your kids may hate you because of it. Is that really what you want to do? Come on, you're a son. You're called to reflect the image of your father. Your purpose to be conformed to the image of Jesus. All of a sudden you see how they begin to illuminate one another. They're not in competition. Grace is not in competition with sonship. They work together. And that's why we need to take it seriously that we steward each representation of the good news and we preach it together. And then it helps bring a balance to the corporate community, the local faith community, so we can walk in and steward what this is. The gospel is not just something that we hear, it's something that we, we demonstrate. Right? I don't, I don't want to just give a message on sonship. I want to be a son. I want to show you what it looks like to be a faithful son. And, and, I, and I'll end with this thought. This is a prophetic word the Lord gave me years ago, and I, and I share it every now and then. But I heard this, that there's a changing of the guard in the landscape of Christianity. And I know that sounds, you know, well, it sounds big picture, maybe a little... A little odd but this is what I heard the Lord saying faithful fathers are transitioning and faithful sons are emerging and becoming faithful fathers do you, do you see how that works 
But what I've seen, I've, I've seen again two things happening right now in this time, and it's going to continue to unfold, that there are people in platforms of ministry that they have grasped this concept too late. And they think that they can have sons just by trying to go after and get a son. That's not how sonship works. There are right now people with large ministries that are in panic mode because they realized in every, all their expansion, all their building, they didn't build sons. Listen, it's two different things, building ministry and building sons. Now, they don't have to be exclusive, but healthy ministries are also building sons because they think generationally. It's not just one man's purpose for his lifetime. He's thinking of what's coming next and who's coming next. Then you have other ministries, and usually, not always, so, but usually, your large ministries are shallow with sons. Your small ministries are full of sons, all looking for somewhere to go and flourish. Somewhere there's going to be a connection. I don't know what all, it's all going to look like. And I don't think God's hung up on everybody having a big ministry. But I do believe God's hung up on healthy ministry. Whatever healthy looks like. For some ministries, they can handle 5,000 and it's healthy. Others is 300 and it's healthy. Others it's a home church and it's healthy. As long as you're pouring yourself into sons, the same way God pours himself into sons. Sonship's not a bad thing, but it's something that we need to get right because there are men and women who are desperately looking for where they fit as family. Family within the kingdom of God, and, we've, and what I'm showing you and, and how we're going to demonstrate that, it's all going to look unique for everyone, but the, the truths remain, you know, they're replicatable. But then also, what they look like, sons in a local house. You know, each house carries the DNA, a, a, a unique DNA, you know. D Dominion carries a DNA. And you can tell people that are part of the dominion. It's just, you don't even have to figure it, it. You just know, right? I love hearing stories of people saying, man, you know, I used to come to meetings. I get prophesied, blasted. Those words are still changing my life today. What they don't know is they're getting marked by DNA, the DNA of the house. And you don't have to try to be that. You just is that. I know that's not, you know what I mean. You just is. All right, I want, I want to pray for you guys. I feel like I, I, I probably threw too much out there. But you can go back. You can listen to this again. Take notes. Uh, ask questions. Reach out to us. We're easily entreated, okay? And we'll continue in this uh, in the next couple of weeks. This, this series is going to carry us into next year if you haven't figured that out by now because we have at least five more sessions to go if we're going to hope to cover all seven Gospels. Because we've covered the gospel of grace, the gospel of the dear son or sonship. We have to cover the gospel of union, well, it's Paul's gospel, union with Christ. We have to cover the gospel of peace. We have to cover the gospel of Christ, which is the corporate Christ, okay? We have to do the gospel of uh, the kingdom. I mean, there, there's a lot of ground still to cover, okay? But we're going to get there. All right, I want to pray for you guys and bless you. Lord, I just thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for these words. Lord, I... This, this is my first time back in a while, kind of getting back on the saddle. But, Lord, I thank you that these words that they were spoken, their spirit and that their life, Lord, that their seed sown. 
Lord, I thank you for, for this time. Even in, in the realm of the natural, we're shifting into focusing on Christmas. And what I love about this focus is we start focusing on a son given. And so, Lord, right now is just a beautiful time for us to identify with and, and begin to have understanding of what it means for you as the dear son, but then us being baptized into sonship. It's a beautiful thing. A final thought, and I am praying here, but you know, a lot of times we look to Easter as the kind of the pinnacle moment of of God, you know, revealing dignity for humanity through the sacrifice of Jesus. But for me, Christmas is almost just as important because if there's anything that's going to bring dignity to humanity, what about God becoming one of us? Yeah, I think it's interesting. We always default to a sacrifice made for us. What about in just becoming one of them? I mean, humanity is so desperate, so aimless, especially in that time in history. And then God's like, oh, I've got something I want to reveal to you and something to blow your mind. I, I'm going to be one of you. So, Lord, I just thank you. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of the family. Such a profound honor that we can call you Abba. We can call you Daddy. And that we can be the brothers and the sisters and the mothers of Jesus. Wow. Lord, let us be a demonstration of what that looks like to everyone that we encounter, especially this time of the year. We're going to encounter a lot of people. And in a time of joy, they're going to be encountering sorrow and grief for whatever the reason may be. Lord, let us be a demonstration of love. Let us show them, hey, you're part of something bigger than you. Family is the cure. That's so where we just take that with us. I thank you for all these things now in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you, Facebook, YouTube, our podcast. We love you. Again, please like and share this so that others can be blessed as a result of it. And uh, make sure to join us next time. God bless you.